Now turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. And to start our lesson off, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So here's the question. We're going to ask the question again that the writer of Hebrews asked, and our lesson this morning will be an attempt to answer it. And that question is in verse 3. How shall we escape? if we ignore so great a salvation. Now, that may sound like a negative sermon, <laughs> but I want us to deal with it in such a way that we can unpack what he's talking about. And when we end up, we're going to see the power of what he's saying. Uh, I want to start off with asking the question, what makes this salvation so great? Okay. We know in chapter 1, it was first revealed by the prophets to the fathers. But now in these last days, God's spoken to us by his son. Do you realize how special and how great a salvation it is? Because Jesus has lived and spoken. That's where we have to start. The precious words of Jesus. Uh, we even have a song, several songs that talk about precious Jesus. Uh, in First Peter, there are two or three times that he uses the word precious, and it relates to the precious promises of God, the precious salvation by the Lord. This salvation is so great because it's a gift of offering by God through Jesus. The superior son has spoken, and in chapter 1, earlier we saw this, not only has he spoken, but he has made purification for our sins. Nancy and I were watching a show last night where couples were opening up their home for uh, like an Airbnb and somebody would come in and judge it. And in one of the scenes, uh, the couple uh, went into uh, their bedroom and accidentally spilled some wine on a white bed sheet. <laughs> and it was funny watching them trying to get that stain out. And the stuff they were using made it worse. It turned from purple to black. And they're like, oh, so... And if you've ever done anything like that, you've visited somewhere and left stain, like, oh man. Well, in Hebrews 1, Jesus made purification for sin. There's no stain left. He cleaned it with his blood, the cleansing of his blood. We're going to see in the book of Hebrews later the power of the cleansing blood of Jesus. That's why I'm so thankful in our songbook. We have a few songs talking about the power of the cleansing blood of Jesus. And, and from what I can tell years ago, there were a lot of sermons on that. The power of the cleansing blood of Jesus. And we don't want to ever forget that part of this great salvation that we participate in, that we claim, is because of that cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. 
And that cleansing power also deals with not only a right standing before God, but any shame or guilt that goes with our sin. And I love that. That's good news. We don't have to beat ourselves over the head. Oh, my goodness. Look how bad a person I used to be. Well, the power of the cleansing blood of Christ is he made purification for our sins. We're now in a right relationship with God. We don't have to worry about that. God is taking care of that. The greatness of salvation. It's a major thing through Hebrews. Let me just share a few of the verses with you. Hebrews 2.10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Jesus came to this earth, completed the mission God sent him, and he's called the pioneer of our salvation. And, and the word that is used here, and every time I think about it, it reminds me of growing up, a pioneer or uh, one who blazes a trail. When I was growing up, we had a whole bunch of weeds growing around our house and the, the barn and everything that was close to where we lived. And in the summer, we'd have these, we called them horse weeds. They would grow up 10, 12 feet tall. And it would get to where, when we were playing all different kind of games, that you'd have to take uh, some kind of knife or something and chop and blaze the trail for all these horse weeds so you could just get through them and play and play uh, and have places where you could run and have fun. Blaze a trail. Jesus is our pioneer of salvation. He has blazed the trail to get to God. Hebrews 5.9, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He's the source of our eternal salvation. Hebrews 6, 9, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. The writer of Hebrews is emphasizing over and over, listen, your salvation is the most important thing in the world. And I know I've talked about some people who have fallen from grace, and that's the word he uses. They have shrunk back in their faith. But he said, I'm convinced of better things than you. And the reason I'm writing this is so that you won't lose a handle on that great salvation that God has given you. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, because he already did that, you know, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The great salvation that we talk about has three parts to it. The first part is salvation from past sin. Our lives are not tied to the consequences of the sin. Uh, our current life is not framed uh, by that past sin. Uh, our identity is not in, in the past. We're saved from past sin. We're also saved presently. The blood of Christ con continually cleanses us from sin. It's that continual cleansing, I think, that we tend to forget. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is going to emphasize that. And then, of course, here, I just read, guess what? We're waiting for the final phase of that salvation. He's coming not to, not, not to bear sin, to get rid of it. He already did that on the cross once. He's coming back for those who are waiting for him for that great salvation. That's the final phase. Past salvation, present, and future. <clears throat> okay, so this great salvation... The writer 
in one sense, when you go through all of the book of Hebrews, there's so many dimensions to this great salvation. Uh, it's sad. In fact, I think um, Hebrews is a reference to it in James. It's sad that kind of like in the Old Testament where Jacob sold his birthright for a pot of beans. <laughs> you may remember that story. And to, to, to Esau. And, and the problem is the writer of the book of Hebrews doesn't want these Christians that he's writing to to get to the point where they just forget what a great salvation it is and not to turn loose of it. Um, and, and perhaps every week in our worship, uh, in our reading of God's word, uh, gathering around the Lord's table, everything that we do, perhaps we need to consciously remind each other of what a great blessing it is to be able to participate in this great salvation. Now, given the question of Hebrews 1-3, what are we escaping? See, the idea of escape, of course, is to run away and to seek some kind of safety in flight. This kind of reminds me in the Gospels. I noticed in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, there's a reference to this where he's referring what it sounds like to the fall of Jerusalem. And he says at that point, God's people will be fleeing, escaping in Jerusalem and Judea, and they're going to go to the mountains. And some of them are going to be experiencing that catastrophic moment in the history of Jerusalem that they're going to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. But you see, the Jews viewed the fall of Jerusalem as a punishment by God, and they were trying to escape from the Roman general Titus when he sieged and destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70. So what are we escaping? Well, it's not just the fall of Jerusalem. What we're talking about and we're escaping is just punishment. And we're going to talk about that in a second. And there will be no escaping if we ignore, and, and I'm going to talk about that ignoring also, just punishment or judgment, as it's called, throughout the rest of the book of Hebrews. Listen to Hebrews 9.27. Remember I talked in Bible class. Sometimes there's little verses that you need to kind of uh, put in your pocket and, and be able to remind yourself of them. Hebrews 9.27 is one of those verses. Because a lot of people, I don't think, live with this conscious thought uh, before them every day. Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for man once to die, then comes the judgment. That's our reality. That's our destiny. Now, the only way that that changes, think about this, the only way that that changes is if Christ comes again before we die, okay? But it's appointed unto men once to die, then comes the judgment. And, and that should be a part of our destiny of our life. We know that our time is coming. We're living every day in view of the fact that life isn't forever. And then we know after that is the judgment. Hebrews 6, 2. He talks about, and when we get there, we're going to talk about the fundamental foundation of faith that has to be poured. And he's, he talks about uh, Hebrews 16. There's instructions about cleansing rites and baptism, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. One of the foundational teachings that we need to have our hands around is the fact that there will be and there is coming an eternal judgment. 
Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews doesn't want us to get to the point that we're so fearful of our shadow that we fear the judgment. In fact, it's amazing how many texts in the New Testament that the writers are trying to instill within early Christians an eager expectation of Christ's return for that judgment day. So I'll ask the question, you can deal with it as you go home. I remember one Christian writer said, your spiritual maturity can be measured by how well you answer the question, I am really looking forward to Christ's return in the judgment day. And he said, if you say that, and inside you're like, no, I'm not there. He said, you may need to think about where you are with your faith. So how eager are we for Christ's return? And it's so much in the New Testament about that. But in Hebrews 6, 2, just the teaching about eternal judgment is a basic teaching, and we need to know about that. How many people do you think today don't even think in their mind about eternal judgment and Christ returning? Hebrews 10, 27, he talks about a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Didn't say the people of God, the enemies of God. That's why the biblical teaching of judgment with punishment like this is one that we as Christians take to heart because it provides for us the urgency of our mission. That people who are not the people of God, they're going to receive a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Now, we need to know about that. Now, prayerfully, and of course, I think part of the wonderful thing of affirming that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we hang on to that. We're God's people. We don't have to fear the judgment. But what motivates us in our Christian witnesses, there are people out there are going to receive this that, that the writer of Hebrews talks about, and they either don't know or they don't care. And this should provide part of our motivation for the Christian witness. So the question of the ages then is how can a loving God then punish people? The writer of Hebrews tells us why. It's very clear. Violation and disobedience is the two words he uses. Violation and disobedience to the message that we've heard, he says, to the message that the angels spoke and to the message that the Son announced. Remember we talked about the great salvation? Well, if you ignore that, if you intentionally, willfully disobey. In fact, the essence of violation and disobedience is not spelled out until chapter three. And we'll we'll go more in depth when we get to chapter three. But real quickly, I want to identify for you what the, the violation and the disobedience looks like. In chapter three, verse 12, here's how he describes it. It's a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, hopefully I can say with uh, confidence that none of us here that that describes, that we don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Okay. Here's the second thing. It refers to hardened hearts that are full of rebellion and testing God. And then number three, this is in chapter three, verse 13. It's a heart that is hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And the sad thing is, when you get to chapter three, some of God's people uh, in Israel have got to this point. And that's why in chapter 6, he's going to come back and talk about this. Um, so that's what 
is receiving the just punishment punishment from God is the violation of disobedience that includes those things. And then notice in our in our verses that we read for our the lesson. Uh, this is in chapter two. Uh, how shall we escape if we ignore such salvation? Um, the idea of neglecting and ignoring is really, really important. How do we keep ourselves from doing that? Um, it means you're getting to the point where you look at it and think, that's not that important anymore. But we understand in life that there are things we can't ignore or neglect. If we do, consequences can come as a result. Uh, in fact, I think I put a little thing on the Facebook page of the church about that. I was thinking about this yesterday, so I got to write this down. Uh, so how do we keep ourselves from ignoring or neglecting that great salvation? Uh, it means paying attention to what we've heard, is what he says. It means the message of Jesus. Practically, it means recognizing the power of the assembly in my spiritual journey. And in chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews is going to come back and affirm that. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Why is that? Because that's what keeps you from ignoring and neglecting the great salvation. Okay? Um, listening to sermons, being in Bible classes. This means daily engagement personally with the word, in prayer to God, reading devotional books, singing. It means weekly engagement uh, in assembly around the Lord's table. It's an intentional attention to our spiritual status and journey. A personal commitment that we can say to our own soul, I will not neglect, I will not ignore, or be careless with my faith. So this is very, very important. Now, the other thing uh, is asking the question then, how do we escape? And this is really interesting. Notice the opposites in this paragraph of chapter two. Pay careful attention so you don't drift away. He's real clear, pay careful attention so you don't drift away. This careful attention, he says, no, she starts off. If, you're, if your Bible's like mine, in verse one of chapter two, there's a therefore. And I've often heard, okay, if you're reading a Bible verse and the word therefore comes up, you need to stop and ask, what is it therefore? <laughs> okay, guess what he's done? He started off chapter two, verse one, basically saying, since Jesus is superior, one of the main points. And at the end, since we as Christians have these worshiping angels that serve us, we're about to inherit the salvation. Because of both of those, he says, I want you to pay careful attention. Okay? Pay careful attention so that you do not drift away. This drifting away is interesting. I think some translations say slip away. Uh, I think there's a reason why it's interesting to think of in terms of drift away. It can refer to, um, think about a boat being in the water and, the, and the, the current is just kind of going like this. And you thought that your boat was tied to the dock and you look up and the current's carried your boat way out there. 
And it happened before you realized it. You're like, oh my. And so this idea of drifting away is it can happen and so imperceptibly that you wake up one day and you're like, oh my, look where I am. I didn't realize that either. I've had people tell me that. Such and such happened. You know, it's been five years since I've been to church, or it's been five years since I've read my Bible, or they'll, they'll, they'll fill in the blank. And then they'll talk about all these things that happened in their life. And I looked up one day and I wasn't in my relationship with the Lord where I used to be. Well, life can do that. And it can happen in such a way that it's just drifting away before you catch it. Okay. Now, also, it carries the idea of slip away. And I want to give you a couple little examples. Um, yesterday, Nancy and I went hiking a little bit on the Greenway. Did you know there's still some snow left yesterday? Even this morning, I saw a couple little hills that are kind of shaded in the, uh, from the sun. There's still some snow there. The idea of slipping away uh, can be like snow that very slowly and imperceptibly melts on the hillside. You don't see the water running down, but you know it's melting. It's real slow, and then before you know it, it's all gone. Okay? Another way of conceiving a slip away is, um, I'll give you a number of years ago. This was after Nancy and I had been married. We have been married too long. Uh, I was working in a restaurant as a cook in the back. And one day, my job was to take all this chicken and put it in this breading. There was a machine you put in, you had to pull all that breaded chicken out with all that dough on it, and everything's real gooey, and it's obviously getting it all out. Uh, and in the afternoon, I looked down, my wedding ring, ring had slipped off, and it was like, <laughs> oh my, my ring is in somebody's baked chicken. <laughs> I'm like, how in the world am I going to find that? And so my brother was working there at the time. He came up to me with this silly grin on his face. He didn't have to say that word. I said, you found it, didn't you? Give me my ring. <laughs> so he goes, yeah. So, but it's, it slipped off, and I didn't know it. And I was shocked. I was like, it's gone, okay? You, and we all have had those kind of moments. Something slips away that was important. We didn't know it until you looked, and it's gone. And, and he... It's this kind of urgency he's trying to get across to his readers. Don't live in such a way that you wake up one day and it's gone. Where is that great salvation? Well, I just ignored it and neglected it. Well, don't be surprised if it's gone and that your relationship with the Lord is not helpful anymore and that your faith doesn't sustain you anymore. He's saying, don't be surprised if you neglect it and it slips away. So what does drifting away look like spiritually and practically? Spiritually, if we don't let Jesus be number one in our life, if we're not aware of the spiritual dimensions of our life, if we're not aware of just spiritual things like God working in our life, God answering prayer, uh, angels working on our behalf. Uh, remember, I read at the very end of our paragraph, and we don't have time to develop this morning, but he talks about uh, the wording is really incredible. Uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to God's will. We have to be aware that God's Spirit has gifted us and that the Spirit is working in our life. Spiritually, we drift away. We don't think about the just judgment of God. We don't live in the view of judgment. We don't care about spiritual things. And practically, if I quit reading my Bible, 
meditating or believing and embracing the words of Jesus and not praying and sharing that with others, not embracing the ever-present cleansing power of the blood of Jesus in communion and prayer, not singing with other Christians, but thinking about all those things very practically that God has made possible to help me grow. So how shall we escape if we ignore such great salvation? It's a rhetorical question. You know what I think the writer is saying? Let me ask the question. I'll give you a short answer. How shall we escape if we ignore such great salvation? We won't. <laughs> That's what he said. We won't. Okay. Let's pay attention then. More than ever, the things that we've heard about our salvation that make it so great. What a great salvation to know that God has also testified to it by signs and wonders and miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And may God grant us the power and the will and the love to pay the more careful attention to what we've heard so that we'll never drift away. What a great lesson this is. It, it, what it does is it helps center us on what is most important and to make us realize that living the Christian life is serious business. It really is. It's not about living a comfortable life. It's not about who I know or what I can do. It's about living the life that takes advantage of this great salvation and shares it. And, and, and he, the thing I love about the book of Hebrews, over and over and over again, he's going to get at this idea. Don't you dare forget what God's given you. Don't you dare forget. Hang on to it. Don't you ever give it up. Because it's so precious. It's so great. So this morning, if you need to come to this Jesus, who's given us such great salvation, maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need baptism.